Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. I can only answer the question, what should I do, writes the philosopher Alice Dare McIntyre, if I can answer the prior question of what story am I a part. I can only answer the question, what should I do, if I can answer the prior question of what story am I a part. I can think of no more important line for us as people of faith as we wrestle with the question of moral discernment in a complex world than this line right here. For the simple truth is, we cannot know what we should do in any given moment or situation unless we first understand ourselves as being part of a larger story. You know, it must have been something to watch Jesus interact with and go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. And we read about these encounters throughout the Gospels all these years later, and as professing Christians and the way that these stories are framed for us, we tend to smile and say to ourselves, that's right, Jesus, give it to them. But we really ought to give the Pharisees their due. The progenitors of rabbinic Judaism, a group without whom so much of what is good and pure and laudable about our shared faith would have been lost to the winds of time, the Pharisees, these were, generally speaking, deeply earnest people, people who wanted to do right and believe right, people who set rules and followed rules, people who worried about the order and the propriety of things. In fact, truth be told, many, if not most of us, would have likely been Pharisees ourselves. Given my own predilection for rules and tradition and order, I know I likely would have been. But be all that as it may, Jesus was frustrating these earnest folks daily. Because they kept trying to pin him down with the letter of the law, and because Jesus, respecter of laws though he no doubt was, always understood himself as being embedded in a far larger, far more transformational story than any single rule itself. And so it was, according to our gospel lesson for this morning, that one day Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field and his hungry disciples began to casually pick some grain and eat, which would have been no big deal, seeing as Jewish law permitted this kind of grab-and-go munching in others' fields. It's called gleaning. It's where we get our word. But unfortunately, they were doing this on the Sabbath, about which Scripture is quite clear that this is a no-no. And so the Pharisees confronted Jesus about it. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They understandably asked Jesus. 
And this was, of course, an appeal to Scripture, to Numbers 15, to Exodus 34, and several others besides. They're breaking the rules, Jesus, they were effectively saying. So what are you going to do about it? To which Jesus responded, essentially, himself appealing to other scriptures, they're hungry, so I'm not going to do anything about it. That's really what it comes down to. Now, it wasn't that Jesus was calling the law silly or purposeless or unhelpful here. And he certainly wasn't devaluing the significance of the scripture. It's just that Jesus was reminding the Pharisees that the deeper layer of their shared faith, that the thing that animates the whole enterprise and that originally gave rise to a rule such as this is the belief that God is indeed at work redeeming and restoring and transforming a broken creation. And to that end, satiating hunger he was reminding them, is certainly in accordance with the larger story that God is telling. The Sabbath was made for humankind, he thus pointed out to them, not humankind for the Sabbath. Contextualize it, he was saying. Yes, though it might be hard for us to admit it, if we've grown up reading the New Testament and hearing stories about which the Pharisees are the unfortunate butts of the story. The truth is, many, if not most of us, would likely have been Pharisees, and for good reason. Sure, all these years later, it's somewhat hard for us to relate to someone getting agitated and hot under the collar about somebody eating a few grains of wheat, right? We can't really put ourselves back in that context. But we can nonetheless relate to being so earnestly attached to rules and customs that we can forget why these rules and customs were created in the first place. We can relate to getting so caught up in the present moment that we can forget the larger story of which our lives and our faith are a part. Am I right about that? Many of us can indeed relate. But just because we can relate doesn't mean we have to approach all of reality this way all of the time. In fact, the Apostle Paul is a fascinating case study for us of one who went from a Pharisee-like approach to reality to a more Jesus-centered approach. From being one who focused exclusively on the letter of the law in all things and in all moments to being one who learned to situate the law within the larger story of God's purposes for creation. Upon his conversion to such a way of life, Paul writes to his protege Timothy that, quote, all scripture is inspired by God and is therefore useful. And he goes on to encourage Timothy to keep immersing himself in Scripture so as to properly discern the will and the purposes of God in this world. But here, post-conversion, as Paul writes to Timothy that all Scripture is inspired and therefore useful, he doesn't mean that all Scripture is crystal clear and absolutely determinative for concerning what to do in any given situation. 
Perhaps he, Paul, believed that pre-conversion. But not now. Perhaps he, Paul, believed that as a practicing card-carrying Pharisee. But not now. Not now that he's a follower of the risen Christ Jesus. No, Paul's very ministry, as evidenced in his letters left behind, is a prime example in learning how to situate the demands of the present moment within the larger story God is telling. And learning how to move from a Pharisee-like approach to a more Jesus-centered approach to reality. I mean, we could cite so many examples from Paul's life, but let's just take the most crystal clear and present one. Let's take Paul's approach to the whole question of circumcision. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, Genesis 17.10 says. Plain as day, right? Well, pre-conversion Paul would likely have thought so and agreed with that. But post-conversion Paul, the Paul who wrote 2 Timothy... And the Paul who wrote to the Galatians, Now I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. This Paul certainly no longer found this scripture to be so plain and so obvious. Now does this mean that Genesis was no longer inspired and useful to Paul? Of course not. Paul still reveres all of scripture. And Paul still honors and appreciates the purpose of all the laws therein, which is why he says as much to Timothy. Instead, this simply means that upon his conversion to the risen Christ, Paul ceased approaching reality simply as a Pharisee and began approaching reality more like Jesus. Which is to say, he ceased isolating and applying all things in a vacuum and began trying, as difficult as it always is, to situate these things within the far larger story that he believed God was telling throughout creation. That is how he came to believe that circumcised or not, all people are worthy of the grand restoration that God is even now preparing in Christ Jesus. It's a radical shift right there at the heart of the Scriptures. Yes, as people of faith, we, like Paul before us and like so many before us, need to learn to answer the ever-pressing question, what should we do now? A question we are always asking ourselves by first recalling the grand story of which we believe ourselves as Christians to be a part. For God is at work even now, we believe, bending this broken world ever so slowly back toward wholeness. God is at work even now, we believe, quietly making right all that has been made wrong 
And there is a coming day, we believe, when the same breath of God that breathed creation into existence will breathe renewal upon all things. And on that day, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That is the story we believe ourselves to be a part of. And so it is that we live then between the now and the then, between the already and the not yet, between creation present and kingdom come. This is our current reality. But that is what all manner of things is moving toward. And if all of that is indeed true, then we can never isolate this, whatever this happens to be in the present moment, without first taking into account its place within that. The point here being, there is nothing wrong with a rule or a law or a custom. Don't let us take that from Mark chapter 2. These are indeed indispensable. We could not live our lives without them. And there is certainly nothing wrong with Scripture. Let us certainly not take that from Mark chapter 2. Scripture is inspired by God and therefore always useful. But let us never lose sight of what a rule is in place to achieve. And let us never lose sight of what Scripture is always and forever pointing us toward. Think not that I have come to abolish the law, said the Lord Jesus. Instead, I have come to fulfill it. That is our example. Yes, situated within the grand story of what God is doing in the world, let us resist the temptation to approach the world like Pharisees. And instead, let us increasingly learn to approach it like the risen Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.